listener production. to Darling Shine, a podcast by myself, Elodie Pullen, and me, Chloe Fisher, a place where we ground womanhood's unspoken experiences from grief to fertility and everything in between. Join us while we transform our pain into power, encompassing all emotions, ugly and beautiful. Darling Shine is your chosen family and your survival kit for the unexpected shit life throws at you. Okay, wow, I cannot believe that the day has come to talk about my pregnancy. It's so incredibly surreal and I actually still don't believe um, it's actually happening. You guys have been super patient in waiting for this and again, I'm sorry that it's taken a little while, but there's just been so much that I need to digest and so much information that I feel like I needed to cover to give you guys all the right information about what has happened. And as we spoke about in our last episode, This year, we'll be doing some solo eps um, to give each other a little bit of a break. And I figured this episode, I really need to just like yarn and chat and just get it all out. And I didn't want to have to bore Ellie (laughs) with any more information that she's probably heard a million times. And it's probably just a little easier for me to get this out with you guys. So I know in our episode one of this season, we did say that the format of our shows are changing a little bit, but we're really throwing a spanner in the works today. So how this is going to work is in today's episode, I'm going to run through everything from start to finish of my journey trying to conceive um, from the very beginning up until falling pregnant with this baby. It wasn't too long, but we figured it was just enough to have in one episode. So we've actually given you a little bonus episode today as well. So there's two separate episodes that are coming out today. One, which is literally just the whole overview of my pregnancy. And then the second episode will be Elodie on there with me. And they're going to be the quick fire questions like, when's my due date? What is the gender? All those sort of things that are just, um, I haven't answered in this episode. Then We're going to bring out another episode for you guys this week, just because there was such an influx of questions from you guys. It was just going to be so long if we included it all in one episode. So this Friday, we'll be giving you a bonus episode and that is going to cover all of your listener questions. Before we get into it, I want to just really, really stress the biggest trigger warning because it's obviously a very emotional and touchy subject for women who are trying to conceive. And I know a lot of our listeners are. So if this is going to be hard for you, potentially save it for a later date because I am going to talk about my journey and I'm going to talk about miscarriage. I'm going to talk about loss. I'm going to talk about this pregnancy. So I just wanted to give you a big warning before we get going. Um, Also, another thing that I wanted to say is that I am clearly not a doctor. So I am just sharing you with you my journey. I'm going to talk about medications and I'm going to talk about supplements and and things that I have taken throughout my journey. But please, if you would like to take any of these up, don't follow my word for it. Obviously, I've tried a trillion different things and 
Like, honestly, I don't even know if anything played a part in this. <laughs> but follow it up with your GP or your fertility specialist if you want to try anything because I am not Bible at all. So I just wanted to address that. So let's get into it. Now, this journey has been going for a very long time and it's really crazy because for myself, I actually have already forgot about the journey and I knew this would happen, but when I've been writing these notes and like looking back on this all, it's just insane what I have been through to get to this point. The journey really started back in February of 2020. Paul and I have been together since 2012. So we've been together for a while. Pregnancy for me and being a mother has always been on the cards. I've always wanted to be a mum since, honestly, since I could remember. And Paul obviously wanted to be a dad too. So, but up until we really got married, we kind of were like, you know, if it happens, it happens. We wouldn't, you're going to have to excuse me with my, um, burping and breathing and stuff because, I don't know, I get puffed out doing the weirdest shit and this is obviously one of those things. Yeah, so Paul and I, we had never been careful. So we, the whole time we were together, I want to say I probably was on the contraceptive pill at the start of our relationship, but I soon went off that because I was like, well, what's what's the point? Like, I might as well just, we weren't actively trying at all, but we weren't being we weren't using any protection. We like we we weren't even like using any sort of like contraceptive method. And I didn't really think that it was that hard to fall pregnant because we had I had never fallen pregnant. Even in previous relationships, I know a lot of friends that have fallen pregnant quite a few times um, growing up, and yeah, it just never happened to me. But I never really thought anything of it. And we got married in February of 2020, and we were obviously going to start trying as soon as we. Well, in the lead up, I thought, you know, should we start actively trying? But then, you know, you kind of get closer to your wedding and you're, you're thinking, oh, I don't want to be pregnant for my wedding. I've come this far. I might as well be a little bit safe in the lead up so I can really enjoy my wedding and go wild, which is exactly what we did. Now, we must have fallen pregnant within 48 hours of getting married for the first time. And I really... I didn't actually know until I think maybe a week or two later when we got home from Bali and I just did like, once I got home, I was like, right, I should do all the, um, dot all my I's, cross all my T's and and get a full blood count and just sort of make sure that everything's sweet before we do start trying. And the results came back with HCG was elevated. So I was actually pregnant and that's sort of how I found out. I then went on to have my first miscarriage at around seven weeks, which was really like a very sad moment for us. I hadn't really known of many friends that had had miscarriages, but I've later learned that they had, but no one had really spoken up. And I guess that's where my journey with everything in regards to miscarriage sort of started because I was like, why do people not speak up? When I posted it about it on my social media and I talked about me miscarrying and and what happened at the hospital and all that sort of thing, the response from my followers and friends and family and the outreach was just 
insane. And it really made me realize that so many women and men go through this behind closed doors, in silent, and it broke my heart. And it really is a reason why I was very passionate about starting this podcast and as well being on the board for the Pink Elephant Support Network because there just isn't enough support out there around miscarriage. And I wanted to, even though I'm only a tiny part in this, I really wanted to try and make a difference in some women's lives so they didn't feel so alone. So little did I know that I was going to go on to have another three miscarriages. None of them got easier. I think it becomes second nature towards the end and you really start just like brushing it under the mat. And I think that even still now, I've got a lot of trauma and so much underlying grief around miscarriage. But I think it's it's just something that you're never going to get over. You're never going to get over those losses. They were still your babies at the end of the day. They the, the minute you fall pregnant and anyone will be able to vouch for me here, the moment you find out, the moment you become attached to that child and you start planning, you know, you look at your due date, you 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 think about things that are happening around that time and, and everything, your world changes. And then you go through this loss and no one speaks about it. Life goes on. It's just forgotten by everyone else. So that's where I, why I really wanted to um, be an advocate in that space because it sucks and there needs to be more, like the governments need to do more in and around this so women feel more supported. Anyway, so moving on, Elodie and Chumpy were also trying for a baby at the same time and they were not having any success either. And they were kind of like trying when we got back from the wedding. So... Elodie did this test called the AMH test. And yeah, so I still remember this one day that Elodie and Chumpy were at our house and they said, like she got this call from our local GP saying, hey, we've just got your results back from your AMH test. And they were super low. And we've spoken about it a lot on the podcast, but for those who don't know what an AMH test, it's like a blood test. You can get it from your GP and it measures your ovarian reserve and gives you sort of an indication on how many eggs are in your ovaries. Now you're born with the amount of eggs that you have and it's just, there's nothing you can do about it. That's just what you're given. And then they kind of suggested that maybe the next steps for them would be going down like with a fertility treatment. And then sadly we lost Chompy. And obviously everybody's worlds, including like obviously Elodie's, have just come completely crashing down. And yeah, it's... I still remember these moments so vividly and it's just, it, it's, it's so heartbreaking that these guys were trying and we got mini, but it just sucks because Chompy just got so fucking ripped off and so did Elodie to experience this life without him and with mini and it's just it's awful. So the latter end of 2020... I feel like it was time for myself to put my journey... At this point, I didn't really know the severity of it, but I wanted to really help Elodie as much as I possibly could and that was sort of like my path. Eventually, Minnie was born and Paul and I were able to step up and really be part of this baby's life and try and, you know, there's no, there's no way that we can feel the void of Chumpy, but 
we were able to help Elle out as much as she could, even though we were overseas a lot, which really sucked. And I was over in America when COVID happened. And that's, well, I was over in America stuck with COVID. Um, We weren't able to travel. So I wasn't able to be there when Minnie was born, but we were able to come home pretty soon after. So I feel like everything went on hold a little bit just while we tried to come into some sort of normality for Elle. And it's obviously still not normal. Nothing's normal in life these days without Chumpy. But myself and all of our friends, we just tried to make Elodie as comfortable as possible. And like, I don't know, like there's only so much you can do, but we tried and we always try our absolute best for her. I think it was probably early, well, actually, yeah, it was early 2021 when I first went and saw, we continued to sort of like, try naturally in and around everything that was going on, but obviously stress does not help the situation. I started seeing my IVF doctor in January of 2021 in Australia, and he decided to do a laparoscopy straight off the bat just to see and investigate what's going on inside my uterus. He discovered endometriosis. So, and for me, I'm not lucky that I had it, but I am lucky in the sense that my endometriosis was silent because I know so many women suffer from endo and it's horrendous and it is painful. And every month when they get their periods, they're basically bedridden. So mine was silent endo. They removed it and we decided to go into two rounds of IUI. Sometimes doctors do IUIs with patients before you start IVF because it's less invasive. And basically you're monitored up until ovulation. Your partner then goes, does a semen collection. They pull apart all of the semen and they pick out the best ones. And then you do a trigger shot and just before they time it and just before you're about to release your egg, they'll use a like a little catheter and they'll put it up there and they'll basically inject all the good sperm into your uterus. So it gives the egg the best chance of meeting with the sperm and fertilizing. So we did two rounds of that and they were unsuccessful. So then we moved on to IVF. Well, I think I did some rounds of IVF at home when I was at home because at that point, Ibiza season had started and we were kind of going back and forth. Because I have a low AMH, my I was just not really getting that many eggs out. I think I was getting around like 10 or something. And then by the time we put it with the sperm and they were fertilizing, like probably one or two would fertilize. And so we'd sort of like use them. I wouldn't be able to hold the pregnancies or they wouldn't take. And so I just in myself was like, there's more to this story. What's going on? I'm young. I'm healthy. I've never had any issues. Anyway, we kind of continued with the IVF. I went to this, we went to Ibiza and when I was over there, I also didn't want to waste any more time and I did a couple of rounds of Clomid. So the Clomid works by stimulating an increase in the amount of hormones that support the growth and release of a mature egg, which is ovulation. So it kind of um, kicks your body into a little bit more of a different gear and really helps you if you don't ovulate. But that was also unsuccessful for me. Eventually, I ended up doing about eight rounds of IVF. I did seven in Australia and I did one in the US when I was stuck over there through COVID because I wanted to continue. I just didn't, I just hated the thought of wasting time. 
I found a doctor in the States and I did another round of IVF over there. In the meantime, I also had another couple of hysteroscopies where they put a tube inside your uterus and your cervix to examine the insides and take some biopsies if needed. Because I just wasn't settling with the fact that I was being unlucky. I hated being told that. It's just for me, after having four miscarriages, I'm like, you can't be this unlucky. It just doesn't make sense to me. I had all of my miscarriages were boys because they biopsy you when they do a DNC. I lost three singleton pregnancies and one set of boy twins, which we actually put one embryo in with IVF and it split. So they were going to be identical twin boys. The amount of needles is pretty crazy that I had done over this whole period. I was actually, Elodie and I were meant to open the boxes I today, but I went to open them and I, I mean, there's obviously a reason why you can't open sharp boxes, but I physically couldn't open them. I was trying to cut them open, trying to saw them open, but I just couldn't. And I was like, this is going to take me way too long because I think there was about 10 boxes full to the rim of needles. And so I kind of gave up on that. I can't give you a count on how many needles, but I, I don't know, I could probably roughly work it out over eight cycles. But anyway, it's so behind me now, I feel like I can throw them out and I'm done with them. But I just was like super attached to them. I didn't feel like that I could throw any needles out until I fell pregnant because I really wanted to know what I did to myself in the like throughout this journey to get this baby. Like I just really, I've seen so many people take photos of like all the needles, but yeah, anyway, that that's history. Can't, um, maybe there's a reason why I can't open these boxes that doesn't want me to see how many needles that it took that I didn't actually need in the end. <laughs> the round of IVF that I did in the States, this doctor, she did an ultrasound and she said, look, there's something going on with your uterus. So up until now, up until then, I hadn't really had any sort of like answers for my infertility. It was just like, you're unlucky. Even after the hysteroscopies and stuff like that, it was just like a bit of few crickets in the room. Um, So she actually said, I think that I can see Asherman syndrome. Asherman syndrome is like, it's quite a rare condition and it's got, it's where, where scar tissue builds up inside your uterus and the extra scar tissue that's in there creates less space Think of like the walls of your insides of your uterus just getting thicker and thicker, making the space in the middle smaller and smaller. So I think that like Asherman syndrome, it kind of makes sense to me now because I've had so many DNCs. I was like assuming that the way that my body reacted to these and the way that my body coped with the trauma inside the uterus, it's grown this scar tissue and it's gotten thicker and thicker. And that's just how that sort of like eventuated. I feel like every now and then a baby would implant or an embryo would implant, but it got to a certain point where it just actually couldn't grow any further because the space inside my uterus, A, wasn't getting enough circulation and B, was just covered in scars. So how can a little embryo grow or a baby grow in there if the soil sucks, basically? So she was happy for me to do a round of IVF. I got two embryos So then she was like, I'm going to refuse to put an embryo in you until we find out what's going on inside your uterus. Why would we waste? Why would we waste a beautiful embryo? You don't have enough eggs at hand to be able to willy-nilly waste this. And I said, okay, yeah, I've come this far. I might as well do it right. She suggested I booked in to have this surgery in San Francisco with a doctor up there who specializes in it. 
I had the surgery. It ended up being four hours long. It was very extensive. The recovery was horrendous. I had to have a catheter in for a week. I had to have one of those like rods put in me to help heal inside. It was just like really hectic. Then the woman was actually saying, I have to go back and have the surgery again to make sure that it worked and there was no scarring left. And I was just like, I'm not prepared to do this again. Not happening. I did not get told that at the start. I said, the whole reason why I'm having this surgery is to fix my insides. Like, why do I need to go and do it again? She said, okay, cool. Well, we'll do a sonohistogram in her office. And she said, I'll see if I can see any scarring, but I'm still not going to put an embryo in until I'm happy with what's going on inside. I went in that day and I had the sonohistogram and she straight away said, there's still scarring and adhesions that I can see. She tried to like spray saline up inside me. Mind you, I've got no painkillers or anything like that. It was one of the most painful things that I've ever had. And she basically said, if you're not prepared to have this surgery again, you really only other option is to do surrogacy. Now, I've always played with the idea of surrogacy and you know, it wasn't really until that moment that I thought maybe this is my only option to get a baby in my arms sooner rather than later. I always knew that one day I would carry my own baby. I, I would never had any doubt in my mind that I wouldn't. I seriously could envision myself pregnant. There was not one part of me that didn't think that I could do it myself, but I just was like, there's still, I need to just go back to the drawing board and I really need to find out what's going on. I'm not, um, she wasn't wrong in that I don't want to waste embryos until I do find answers, but I was really under the impression after seeing her that my soil was still shit. That was really shit. That really sucked because I really was like, like, what am I meant to do? I was like scared that I would fall pregnant again and I would lose the baby basically. Anyway, I investigated doing surrogacy in the US and decided not to go down that route. We, I actually had quite a few women email me about being my surrogate, which is just like the most selfless, beautiful thing that I've just, like I have goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, my manager chatted to a few of these women and just kind of like spoke to them about why they wanted to do it and how they found out about me and all of that. Um, so we we went, we spent six months going down that path. I'm actually going to do an episode with her. She's been kind enough to say that she wants, she will come on with me and chat. So there's going to be a whole episode on surrogacy. But in a nutshell, you have to do counseling, you have to see lawyers, you have to there's just like so much stuff involved in that, which took about six months. We had, we had finished it. It's, it was all done. We got signed off. We did psych tests, like all of the above. It was crazy. So it was really a matter of my mind was so focused on that. I was so much less stressed because I just, it got to the point where I was just thinking, I physically can't put my body through this, both physically, emotionally, mentally, like it Trying to conceive and not being able to conceive and going through so many losses, it is so traumatic on the body. It's it's shit on your relationship. Paul and I, I'm so grateful that I had him there to support me and he was so incredibly supportive throughout the journey. I, I can totally understand how people, couples become unstuck through this process because you just really don't understand the extremity of it unless you're going through it or have been through it. it it's it's horrendous. It just sucks. So I 
I just had to put my foot down and said to myself, Chloe, you can't, you cannot put yourself through this any longer. If surrogacy is the immediate route that we need to take, that's what you need to do. I even saw a therapist to try and like get through my mind that I wouldn't be able to carry my own baby. Don't even know what I was trying to get from the therapist, but it just didn't help at all. But I did mentally prepare that this woman was going to carry our baby. And she was a bloody legend. She is a legend. I love her. Anyway, that all happened. Paul finished his residency in Ibiza and we decided to book our very, very belated honeymoon because when we got married... COVID hit the week later and we were meant to go to the Maldives but never got around to going. It was the top of our bucket list. We thought, shit, let's take two weeks off after your crazy season and let's go to the Maldives and then Bali and have just some one-on-one time together. We got to the Maldives. It rained (laughs) pretty much from the moment we arrived until the moment we left actually early because we were like, Paul just wanted to surf. We wanted to get in the sun and we wanted to just do us but it, we couldn't really do that in the Maldives. But obviously it was a blessing that it rained so much because here we are. There was a few things that happened in Bali that I was a little bit like, fuck, that's a bit weird. It's so weird because when you're trying to conceive, even though I had been told that I could, like this woman was like, I wouldn't try for a baby because you're going to lose it. Literally, that's what she said to me. So I was so scared. It was just such a bittersweet, weird situation because I, we obviously were going to try. Why would we not try? Like that just seems crazy when you're trying to conceive. Why would you not try? But I was also so petrified because I'm like, well, what happens if it, this lady's really right? And I like, anyway. But we'd also done the surrogacy stuff on the side. So that was ready to go. <laughs> when we got to Bali, my, like, I mean, my boobs are huge at the moment, but my boobs were massive. And I was like, that's a bit weird. And then also I wear this aura ring and my temperature... And my heart rate, my heart rate had was elevated and it was warning me that my heart rate was super elevated. And my temperature had spiked, I think, it, one way or the other. It spikes when you ovulate and then it drops before your period and it hadn't dropped. So I was like, that's weird, but like, why would I get my hopes up? I knew that the surrogacy was happening. So I was always like, in the interim, I'm still going to try and find out what's going on with me. I need to have a 10th opinion kind of get to the bottom of what's going on. But very slowly, because I really wanted to respect that I was really cooked in my emotions. I was cooked within my body. So many hormones, everything just like, it really got really hectic for me in the end. I was pretty much depressed almost because it was just, it's really, it's a really hard pill to swallow, like trying to accept that you might not be able to have your own baby. So... I was like, I'm going to continue, but I'm going to do it slowly. So I flew home from Bali and I had an appointment with this woman to have another sauna histogram here in Australia to sort of like get to the bottom of more. I get home that day and I was reading about like the procedure and what needed to happen that day. Elodie was coming with me because Paul was away and it's like, do not have sexual intercourse uh, within two weeks of this procedure because you obviously, you can't be pregnant when you have it. So I was like, oh, okay, well, doubt I'm pregnant, have a pregnancy test. So maybe I should just pee on a stick because they're going to make me do it there anyway. Peed on the stick and it was positive. <laughs> and I was like, 
you have got to be kidding me. I straight away FaceTimed Elodie and said, don't come pick me up because I'm pregnant and what the hell? I texted my IVF doctor here in Australia and was just like, because he referred me to this other doctor. I said, what the fuck, I'm pregnant. And he said, come straight up, we'll do some blood tests and all that sort of stuff. So we did that. It was my HCG came back quite high. I was very early at that point. So for my HCG to be that high, it was quite looking quite positive. It's still weird finding out that you're pregnant after so many losses. Nothing, it like doesn't, you're constantly trying to protect yourself. So you're just sort of like, well, yeah, cool. Like it means nothing. It sucks. It's so shit that you have to play it down for yourself and you don't get to have that joy at all. I really feel ripped off in that sense. So Paul had flown overseas to Manchester from Bali because he had a big show over there. This was on the Friday. I think I found this out. I didn't get to actually tell him until the Sunday because I just couldn't get a hold of him. Honestly, that's that's the journey up until finding out that I was pregnant. And then there's actually a question that I, like I'm going to go into it further a little bit about all my HCG levels and how they rose and stuff like that. But again, that's like, everyone's HCG levels are different. I've like compared my my own HCG with like previous pregnancies and like they're so different this one, but I will, someone asked, a listener question did ask that. So I will go into that a little bit later. But um, my doctor in Australia that I went and saw, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, he got me on Clexane. He got me on um, prednisone, at, which is a steroid and aspirin. And I, I guess for people who have had recurrent miscarriages, Clexane and low-dose aspirin are sometimes like given to women who are like risk of blood clotting and stuff like that. And I mean, if you can, you want to Google it, you can Google it. Um, it'll have all the information on there. So I was doing those three medications right up until 12 weeks. I also started using progesterone suppositories, which are so gross. I did those up until 12 weeks. I had a few light spotting and bleeding bits and pieces at the start, but the progesterone generally sorted that out pretty fast and like really helped with my lining. So that I went off that at 12 weeks. But all in all, that that was sort of my journey up until, yeah, finding out that I was pregnant and looking at the the bigger picture, it sucks the journey that I have been on, but it really has dissipated that all that sadness and all that trauma and all that grief since being pregnant, you really do forget about the sleepless nights, the thinking about it every single day that like it, yeah, it, it's hectic. I on like just really being that just then, I just can't even believe that that's what's been going on for the last couple of years. It's, it's insane. So I think all in all, there's a few factors that played a part in this pregnancy I hate that I'm literally saying this because I feel like every person says this to you and I've said it in so many episodes, don't ever say this to anybody, just relax and you'll fall pregnant. But I genuinely think that that played a part in this pregnancy. Throughout the last three and a half years, I've never been so stressed in my life and I feel like if you've been on this journey, you'll understand when I say you wake up every morning you're thinking about what day in your cycle you are, when you're getting your period, when you're due to be ovulating, what food you should be having, what like every single day of your journey, you're thinking about trying to conceive. And it's something that you cannot just stop doing. It's 
It's so heavy. It's really, really fucking heavy because you just, all you want to do is not think about it, but naturally, and I think as well, being an advocate for yourself plays a massive part in this because I feel like a lot of my issues were, well, if I'm not doing something to try and find out what's going on, then who is? Who's who's fighting on my behalf behind closed doors? Nobody. Not your friend, not your partner, not your, you know, you are your biggest advocate in this whole situation. And I don't care what anyone says, unless you're doing as much as you possibly can, no one else is doing it for you. So I feel like a lot of stress comes to from that. Now, for me, where things shifted was I obviously went on that holiday, but we had already started the surrogacy plans before we went on that trip. So I would say that my stress had, I guess, shifted to a different focus. It was, yeah, it was stressful, the surrogacy process, but it wasn't stressful. I don't feel like on my body and I wasn't putting so much hate and so much bad vibes on myself of like, why can't you do this? Like, you know, you're you're a woman, you're born to be able to have a baby. You should be able to carry a baby. There's no one can tell you what's wrong with you. So what, you know, are you going to keep searching? Are you going to keep trying to find answers? Like that's sort of like a constant in the back of your mind. So when I sort of surrendered to the fact that I potentially might not be able to carry my own baby and went down the surrogacy route, I feel like, yeah, the stress shifted off my own personal self. And personally, I knew all along deep down, I was going to have a baby of my own. I was going to carry a baby of my own. There was not one part of me that ever doubted that. It might not have happened in the immediate future and it might have to have happened after surrogacy or whatever the the journey was. I never doubted myself. I always, always knew. Honestly, there wasn't 1% of my body that didn't think that I was going to be able to do this at some point. It was just going to take time and I was just going to have to find out what was going on and what were the underlying issues. I had some embryos. I still have some embryos frozen. I think I have two in Australia frozen and two in the States frozen. So, But I was not prepared to use those on myself until I had some more solid answers. But I always knew that I was going to carry this baby. And maybe that that played a part as well that just there was so much negativity in my mind, but there was also a lot of positivity in my mind and feeding that back to myself going, don't worry, it's all going to work out the way that it's going to work out. Like the universe has a plan. You just have to be patient and eventually all will be forgotten. The journey will be forgotten once you have the baby in your arms. So that's kind of where I was that at with that. Another thing which I think I played a, a part in this pregnancy is the way that I changed my lifestyle. And me not drinking actually had zero to do with me falling pregnant. I just purely wanted to stop drinking because I wanted to better my health. I was on such a health journey the last, like, you know, probably the last six months have been like, it's been the strongest, but I feel like it sort of was gearing up to that from the last like year to two years. I started to slow down. I started to stop so many commitments. Paul and I obviously travel a lot, but I was always based in one spot and he kind of traveled in and out which meant that I was able to focus on my health and my well-being and my mental health and, you know, focusing on me. It goes without saying that the biggest part of this pregnancy 
would have to have been this surgery that I had in March. We tested for everything. I had done all the tests. I had done even the um, the one where you tested for natural killer cells where they go inside and they take a biopsy, but that all came back negative. I really think that whatever this doctor did in San Francisco, it gave me a fresh slate, fresh soil, and this miracle sperm and egg met and yeah, and the rest is history. I have to say though, my period was a little weird after the surgery. So maybe that was a little bit difficult for me to track properly, but it was like quite painful, which I'd never had painful periods before, short cycles, short periods. And the whole drinking thing as well, that was I stopped drinking on the 1st of September and I was always going to do a month off alcohol. My brother did a year off alcohol and I was so inspired by that. And I've always wanted to do that, especially in the lifestyle and like the environment that I'm in. You can get so carried away, but I really wanted to use my willpower to be able to see if I could be around that and stay up and be involved in the parties and everything like that without drinking alcohol. I did that on the 1st of September. It was actually quite funny because I the 1st of September was a show that Paul did at Brooklyn Mirage in New York and it was a five-hour set. So I did that whole thing completely sober. I must say I felt amazing the next day. But it's also been quite helpful that Paul doesn't, he's really cut back on his drinking as well. He barely, he barely drinks anymore. So it was kind of a joint effort between the two of us and we're really able to help each other through that. And he still very rarely drinks. Once in a blue moon, he'll have some shots of tequila when he plays. But other than that, like there's zero drinking midweek. Like I couldn't even pay him to have a glass of wine if I wanted to have a glass of wine with him. So that's been really helpful. So we're very much on the same page in that instance. Another thing which I did and I haven't, been able to get on and do a full episode on this yet, but it is coming, I promise, was the Panchakarma retreat that I did at Sura Spa in Santa Monica. That's another reason why I stopped the drinking as well, because I was coming into this retreat and I really wanted to like completely detox properly. But basically, Panchakarma is like as a series of Ayurvedic treatments. It's it's used to restore your mind, your body, your spirit. And the treatments go each day for between three and a half to four hours. It starts off with like two therapists and they work in like literally perfect synchronicity when they do their massage. They do like a a two-hour massage with four four hands, two people. Um, And then they use like herbalized oils, which they cook each night specific to each guest. You have an appointment with Marta who is the owner of the spa and she tracks, you read your pulse and kind of like works out your treatments each day and it's tailored to and customized literally to you. And she looks at your tongue and, and any health concerns that you have. So everything was like completely tailored to me. You started off with the eating ghee, castor oil as like a laxity before you get into the the spa, the retreat sort of, sorry, week. And then it's you're eating this nourishing food that they they're making on on site and yeah it was it was a extremely rewarding and incredible experience i obviously was going in there to improve my health and to detox but she instantly from reading my tongue and feeling my pulse was like you've got stuff going on with your uterus um let's try and work on that and i told her my story and 
after she gave me, at the very end, she gave me a, um, these like balls, like these little Chinese medicine herbal balls that basically came in a, a, a wax ball. It looked like a ping pong ball and you cracked it open and it had 50 little tiny black pellet things in it. And she's like, next time you ovulate, have these from the from the day that you think you ovulate. And I think there was like 10 days after. So I was cracking this open and having these. Didn't really taste, obviously didn't taste like anything, but you just had to have like 50 of them. And then she also gave me this like special oil, which I literally have no idea what this oil is. I've been trying to read her handwriting on the little, the little jar, but she was like, also put a drop of this in your belly button every night before you go to bed. So I did that. I knew that I ovulated when I was in the Maldives. So I started taking those ball things that she gave me and I literally felt pregnant that cycle. So whether or not that whole spa and retreat experience had a full-on immediate effect on me falling pregnant, whether those Chinese herbs helped, I think, and maybe they helped me ovulate, I don't know. But whatever it was, um, that was literally happening the, the month before I felt pregnant. So I, I feel like it definitely played some sort of a role. When I'm working on this episode with about the retreat, I actually voice recorded myself throughout the whole thing and we were kind of just trying to work out what the best way it would be to use as an episode for you guys. And I figured that it would make the most sense to have Marta on as a guest and I can actually interview her and talk about Ayurvedic medicine and how it all works and what treatments used on me and why and all that sort of stuff and intertwine it. So she's been doing a lot of retreats lately. So we're just kind of trying, trying to tee up a time. And once we do, we'll be able to bring that full episode to you with everything that went down. And then we briefly touched on this earlier, but it's not really a piece of the puzzle, but why I find this baby such a miracle and like why I'm so shocked by falling pregnant is because my low AMH. Now, I told you that my, my AMH was around 3.2 in 2020, but to give you an idea of how low that is, it's roughly, I would have been what, like 29 or 30 at this point. And someone with an AMH of that would be probably in... Whew, probably well into their 40s. Um, so in a nutshell, if you've got high or if you've got normal range of AMH means that you have lots of eggs and therefore you'll probably respond to IVF treatments quite well. Whereas if you've got low AMH, it means that your eggs are definitely on the decline and you just might not respond to IVF treatments as well or you might find it quite difficult. They, they do say that if you have a low egg count, it's very difficult for you to achieve a pregnancy on your own, let alone through IVF. It's because there's less, obviously there's less developing eggs in the ovaries. And so it means there's a less chance of a mature egg actually being released and then fertilized, well, like being released, traveling down the fallopian tube and then being fertilized by the sperm. So this baby is seriously such a miracle because my last round of IVF that I did was um, at the end of 2022. Yep, the end of 2022. And I got zero embryos. We did a full cycle, all the needles, and I got not one embryo. And that was a, a full IVF cycle. For me to fall pregnant naturally is seriously the craziest miracle. And I'm so grateful. I 
I do also think I put it a lot of it down to meditation and manifesting. Like I've 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 really visualization. I feel like. I always visualized myself being pregnant. I always visualized myself with a belly. I was even having moments during meditation where I was visualizing giving birth and being in labor and all of that sort of stuff. So really, I was just trying so hard. Although the journey was really tough, I was just trying so hard to just really ingrain that positivity, the visualizations of me being pregnant into my everyday life where I can. So that's sort of it for this episode. I feel like I covered so much. It was a lot of verbal diarrhea, but I really enjoyed rehashing that. And yeah, it just really makes it sink in how far I've actually come because like I said, once you do fall pregnant, it all just becomes a bit of a blur. So I I really wanted to make sure I covered everything from start to finish. So that sort of wraps up this part of this episode. But if you want more, you can head over to the second episode that was released today and that will have Elle on it, myself on it, and there'll be quick fire questions that I know everyone wants to know about. So head over to that episode and you'll hear all about that there. <laughs>